So real quick, my name's Andrew Hernandez. I've been at this church for a while. I love it here, and I'm so thankful to speak this morning. Quick disclaimer about me. Um, I'm not like a three-point preacher, like, hey, here's point number one, point number two. I'm a one-point preacher. I have one point, and it's this. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Cool? We'll come back to that later. That's my one point for today, but we're going to expound on that. Um, before we go any further, would you mind please praying with me? Father God, I just thank you um, for everything. God, I thank you that uh, in the midst of a pandemic, you've allowed us to meet here in Ukaipa, God, uh, in a field so we can worship together, so we can praise together, so we can learn and grow close to you together. Father God, I pray as I speak this morning that it would not be a word of my own. God, that every single word I say would just be inspired by you, all about you, and filled by your spirit, God. God, I pray for all of us here, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we're at in life, uh, that you just do great things in our heart this morning. We love you. It's your sons and we pray. Amen. Shout out to God for providing a cool breeze because, man, it was hot this morning and that little breeze came in. It was a lifesaver. So this morning, I want to talk about something that's been on my heart for a while. It's no secret uh, that the world's kind of fallen apart. We're in the middle of a pandemic where most of the world is shut down. Uh, There's a lot of blame game going on between nations. Uh, November is creeping up, and every four years, November is a very, very hectic time of the year here in the United States. And I don't know about you, but uh, I had to delete social media because of how crazy things were getting. I was tired of seeing people tear each other apart and tear each other down uh, over, frankly, some trivial things most of the part, most of the time. But the world appears to be falling apart. And I don't just mean nations going against nations, because that's always been a thing. I don't just mean politically we're, we're more uh, just separated than ever before. That's not what I'm talking about. Well, yes, that is important, and yes, that is a reality of what's going on in our world today. The bigger thing that's causing these things to fall apart, it's us. Like our communities are falling apart, and that's why politically things are getting crazy. That's why our nation is falling apart. Our homes are falling apart. Our workplaces are growing uh, in tension, or maybe they're shut down right now. Things have gotten crazy, but that all started within us as individuals. There's no more blaming the world. There's no more blaming this big picture and we get to hide behind it. No, it's time that we take responsibility for the chaos that the world is in at this point. I want to read a, a couple verses for us uh, this morning. And let's just see if some of these things sound familiar. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 3 after just talking about marriage, but it says this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may may attain a blessing. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit and the bond of peace. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain unity. Why is it to me that those things seem so foreign right now? Why do things like humility and patience and, and eagerly trying to maintain unity, why do these, do these things seem like some distant idea? Why have they been feeling that way for so long? I I read these things and I'm like, yeah, that reminds me of, I don't know. It certainly doesn't remind me of myself when I look in the mirror. 
It doesn't remind me of the things that I'm seeing in the world. I don't see humility or patience or brotherly love. It says this in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I don't see a whole lot of those things going on in the world. And again, it's not the world's part because it doesn't start with the world. It starts with us. It starts with us as the church. And I don't just mean sanctuary. I mean anyone who's taken up the banner of Jesus Christ. That's agreed to, that we all believe and we agree that he is God and that we need to fall after him and that he's our savior. It starts with us first. And yet I feel like we failed the worst. I have a lot of friends who uh, have walked away from church and I always ask them why, what happened. And I hear their complaints. I hear what happened and I can't disagree with them. I understand why they walked away. It's because these things have been so absent. Verse 24 of Galatians, right after the fruit of the Spirit, it says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, Let us not become conceited or provoking one another or envying one another. That seems to be all I've been seeing recently. Amongst friends, politically, globally, in our communities and in our households. I've seen a lot of envy and provoking one another. But why? Why are we doing this? Why are we hiding, hiding behind politics like that's what the real issue is? Why are we hiding behind all these issues when in reality it starts with us and it has to start with us doing these things? There is a gap that has been formed and there is a bridge that we must build to cross it politically and within our homes and within ourselves. I want to look at an amazing story that involves Jesus. And I love Jesus. I'm a real big fan of his. He gives us this beautiful example, and it's in John chapter 4. Any of you guys familiar with the story of the woman at the well? It's arguably my favorite story in all of Scripture. And before we jump into that, uh, we have to remember a couple things. One, this is a Samaritan woman. Two, this is a Jewish man. If you don't know, uh, Jews and Samaritans uh, don't really see eye to eye at this time in history. It would be like a hardcore Trump supporter and a super BLM supporter. That nine times out of ten, um, they avoid each other. And the one time out of ten when they do interact, it usually doesn't end well. It usually gets pretty heated and pretty crazy pretty fast. But that's what Jesus is about to do here. And so this is John chapter 4. I'm going to read some of these verses kind of quickly, but I'll, I'll slow down for the key ones for us. It says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Again, this is like a hardcore Trump supporter passing through a BLM rally. Okay? So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, It was about the sixth hour. It's about noon in our time. It's not six in the morning, not six at night. It's about noon. And what we're about to see here is a Jewish man in enemy territory. We're about to see Jesus Christ in enemy territory in a cultural uh, tension spot. This is a place where he should not be. And if he is there, it's probably not going to end well. And he's there by himself at the well. And it says this in verse seven, and it's going to get awesome. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. 
Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is that that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying this to you, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So here is Jesus. I know there's a a lot of verses, and I'm surprised I read it all. Uh, But let me break this down. So there's Jesus. It's noon. There's a Samaritan woman coming to draw water. She meets with Jesus, and he begins to just preach. He was to tell her about the living water that Jesus has come to offer, and she still thinks it's a physical thing, not a spiritual thing like many of us do. And she's going and she's, she's ready for this living water. But then Jesus first has to address her sin issue. He says, go get your husband. She's like, I have no husband. Jesus is like, yeah, you've had five and the man you're now with is not your husband. Now there's two trains of thoughts. One is that this woman is a very promiscuous woman and that she's never been married. The second thought is this, is that she really has been married five times. And in that culture, women did not have right to get divorced. It was up to the men and the men alone. That if a man wanted a divorce, they could. If a woman wanted to, tough luck. And so five times this woman has been divorced. That's a really big deal in that culture because no one wants to marry a divorced woman then. But five times she's been divorced. Five times she's been told she's worthless. She's not good enough. She's a failure. Maybe she's childbearing. Maybe she's just so failure, so much of a failure as a woman in that culture that she's been rejected five times and she's so beat up that she'd rather sleep with someone she's not even married to, that she's not with, just so she can feel loved again. And this is what Jesus is pointing out to her. Jesus knew all this going in. And yet, what did he do? It's the things we read in Peter and Galatians and Ephesians. What Jesus did was show humility. Jesus, knowing everything this woman has ever done and ever will do, still chose to love her. Can we begin to do that with those that are maybe culturally on the other side? That maybe those who are politically on the other side? That maybe those who have wronged us or maybe those we have wronged? Can we begin to be like Jesus in these moments? I would argue that most of us, if we're in Jesus' shoes, we wouldn't have been that kind to her. Because the reality is, there's a reason she's coming out at noon. Most women in that culture and the servants would go draw water in the morning and then in the evening, never at noon when it's the hottest. The reason she's coming at noon is because she can't bear to stand the gossip anymore and the glares and the rumor and the slander and the attacks that probably get made against her every single day. Yeah, there is a Jewish man, the enemy of enemies. And look what he does. He doesn't reject her. He talks to her. He's patient with her. Even though he's talking about spiritual matters and she thinks it's physical, Jesus doesn't write her off. He's patient with her and keeps explaining to her. He keeps showing her love and grace. Jesus is the most humble person ever walk on this face of the earth. Because he came from the highest and made himself the lowest. 
so that me may be lifted up and spend eternity with him. And he's doing this with this woman. If we want to bridge the gap culturally, politically, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with whoever it is in this world, with complete strangers, it starts with us being like Jesus. It starts with us being humble and showing love, eager to maintain unity. Because it starts doing something in this woman's life that's so profound. Because this woman who I'd argue is dead in sin, she is dead in sin. She's miserable. She doesn't want to be anyone. She's isolating. The only person she's with probably is this man that she's sleeping with just so she can feel loved, even though it's the wrong kind. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship in him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And so again, here is Jesus tearing down cultural barriers, saying, hey, look, I know you believe this, but here's truth, that God is just looking for worshipers to worship in spirit and truth. I don't care that you're a Samaritan woman. I don't care that we disagree about things. I don't care. What matters is that we worship to Father, the Father together in spirit and truth and recognizing that Christ is the Savior. We need to be like Jesus. It's not easy. I will never stand up here and tell you that it's easy. The pastor gets up here and says, oh, it's so easy. He's missed some, some key verses in the Bible because Jesus and Paul both talk about suffering a lot. And there's a reason why you have to be united because this world is a violent place. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we must do it together. But I don't just want to look at Jesus here because if we're going to first be like Jesus, we must first be like the woman at the well. The reason why this gap can't seem to be bridged, the reason why we're so divided is because we haven't first been like the woman at the well. That yes, our end goal is to live like Jesus lived, to strive for perfection and to follow after his, his word and his teaching. But we must first be like the woman at the well. We must first have a real encounter with Jesus. We have to know Jesus and not just know a lot about him. I grew up in church and I didn't know Jesus until I was an adult, but I could tell you every verse he ever spoke. I could tell you all about him and it left me miserable. It left me dead to sin. We need to know Jesus. We need to meet Jesus, not just meet people who have met Jesus, not just know about Jesus, but really know him and have a relationship with him. After Jesus talks to this woman, you know what she does? Most other times after Jesus teaches or does a miracle, He has to say, go. He doesn't have to tell this to the woman at the well. She takes off into her town. And she runs back in and she begins to proclaiming Jesus. Go, hey guys, I I think I found the Messiah. There's this Jewish man out there. And they're like, Jewish man? He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's the Christ. Let's go meet him. Like what he, he told me everything I ever knew. She had a real encounter with Jesus. And you notice what it caused her to do. She ran back she ran back to the place that had hurt her the most. 
Why? Because she now has a real relationship with Jesus that is beginning to grow. And she's taking off running because for the first time in probably her entire life, she's finally felt loved. She's finally felt worthy of something. Have we had encounters with Jesus? Not just been around encounters with Jesus. I've been to a lot of camps and I've seen lives changed and I've seen the people next to the life change. It's not the same. We have to have that encounter with Jesus and it starts today. Andrew, it's just a Sunday morning. I got brunch after this. I got things I got to do. This woman was just running errands and her life was changed forever. But look how she runs back to the abuse and I can picture her. I can picture her just leaving her water bucket behind. I can picture her running full steam ahead and banging on doors and knocking on doors and going, guys, I got to tell you about this Messiah because he, this guy's more than a prophet. He's told me all things I ever did and he didn't reject me like you have. And she's proclaiming it and I picture her banging on doors and going, hey, open up, I got to tell you something and I guarantee you some of those doors she knocked on were her ex-husband's. I guarantee you some of the people she proclaimed Jesus to were the same people she was avoiding that morning. We have to be like this woman at the well before we can be like Jesus. We have to meet him. We have to encounter him. What's holding us back? What's holding us back? This woman was nothing in her own mind. She was a nothing in her hometown. And yet her encounter with Jesus was so profound that the Samaritans, and I love this, invited him in. That when we have a real encounter with Jesus, when we begin a relationship with him, it grows in to a continual relationship with him, not just a one-time thing that dies off after a couple weeks. It's something that continues, and the Samaritans invite him in, and this city was forever changed. That community was forever changed. If we can be like this woman at the well, our communities will be forever changed. What is stopping us? How little has our faith become that we don't think God can do great things anymore? That we're so wound up in who gets voted into the White House, man. I'm going to be honest, I'm not worried about who wins in November. I don't care. I really don't because I have one king and he's on one throne and that position is never up for re-election. I saw God, I've read about it when he softened Pharaoh's heart. Surely he can still do the same. That God is still on his throne. He's still powerful. The same God that raised people from the dead, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that, that helped David slay Goliath, the fourth man in the fire that saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the same God that's still working today. Can we begin to live like it? Please. And I'm tired of seeing my friends and family ripped apart. I really am. I can't take it anymore. And I'm reading the Bible and God's like, Andrew, this is the answer. I'm like, I know, but it's hard. When I teach, I'll be honest with you, nine times out of ten, it's God trying to teach me something. So please don't sit there and go, Andrew, what about you? This is for me first and foremost. Because I very quickly take on the banner of hate. I used to hate my grandfather. I used to hate the man. He cheated on my grandma numerous times, and he was a drug dealer and a drug addict and an alcoholic. He was verbally abusive to my family and to my mother. I did not like that. I saw him move my mother to tears as a kid, and I hated that. I tried stabbing my father, tried burning my house down. I hated that man. But as I began talking to family members and God convicting me, like a lot, I began to realize something, that my grandfather has a story that's rooted in hurt. 
that my grandfather's mother may or may not have been a promiscuous woman. That to this day, he's in his mid-80s to late-80s. He still carries the scars physically of his mother's abuse. He doesn't talk about his dad a whole lot. He's had a rough life. And as I began thinking about that and processing that, I realized that, man, we're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And that sinner is, that Savior is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There was a man I used to hate in high school that did some very awful things to me and pushed me to the point of suicide, and I hated him. And then I heard his story, and I realized that he was getting beat up by his siblings at home every day, and that he hadn't yet recovered from the loss of someone dear to him that took their own life. It was, it got a lot harder to hate him. It began so much easier to bridge the gap. And I have to be honest with you, and I apologize. This idea of bridging the gap is a little misleading because that gap is already bridged. When Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross and rose again three days later, that bridge was built for us. Are we ready to cross it? What's holding you back this morning? You guys familiar with John 3, 16? It's one of my favorite verses. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That whoever, that includes all of us. If we want to see the world restored, if we want to see our communities restored, our homes restored, we ourselves restored, we have to cling true to this, that God loves us so much that all of us can go before him and say, God, I'm sorry. No matter what it is that's holding you back, I want to encourage you, whether it's depression, anxiety, an addiction, a hurt, something you did that the shame and guilt is consuming you, whether it's something that's been done to you that you just don't even want to think about because it hurts so bad, bring it to Jesus. Because when you breathe those things to the foot of the cross, they melt away because those things are of darkness and darkness cannot stand in the light. And Jesus is the way and the truth and the light. Let's do that this morning. Don't leave here without getting prayed for. Like, Andrew, I'm worried about COVID. I'll put on a mask and I'll pray through your window. There's people here that want to see your life changed. Don't leave here this morning without it. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to close with this. Alex and Taps did a phenomenal job talking about worship. And what I love that Jesus says here to the woman in the well, that the time is coming and has now come that we will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. This morning, if we're going to see life change, let's start by worshiping together and refocusing on Jesus. Because the truth is, the world can use a whole lot less of us and a whole lot more of Jesus. And thank God that we worship in spirit, because there's a reason they put me on bass, man. I can't sing to save my life. But I guarantee you, God loves the sound my spirit makes when I worship him. If you're here this morning, man, maybe you're like the woman at the well. Like, Andrew, I had that encounter and I was starting to run but I got tripped up and I fell on the way. Don't worry, Jesus is still here and he still loves you. You know what, Andrew? I've just been going through life and going through emotions. Don't worry. Jesus is still here and he still loves you. Let's see our communities rebuilt this morning. Let's see our lives built this morning. Let's cross that bridge that Jesus so beautifully built with his death and resurrection. And let's watch the world change forever. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. God, thank you for allowing us to call you Father. God, no matter how our earthly father is, whether he's great or terrible or absent, God, help us to not put that image of our earthly father onto you because you're so much better than our best. God, I pray for all of us here this morning. No matter how our lives are falling apart, God, that you'd sew us back together. 
God, that the wounds that maybe have been laid open for too long, you begin to sew shut. God, give us grace and humility and patience and understanding. God, so we may go be a light to this dark, dark world. God, restore our faith in you and in your power and your authority. We love you, Jesus. I pray that you move mightily in every single life here, whether they're here on site or they're watching at home, God, or they're going to watch this down the road, God, that you would move mightily in all of our lives. We love you. We pray this in your son's beautiful, amazing name. Amen.